What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the final four. Is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Rod, we're recording this right after the Purdue loss. Uh, a tough one for Michigan State, but they're still not. Um, they're not out of this season yet. Uh, you know, they're really in this about the same position they were in. 2015 when they lost what was it uh northwestern i think uh, nebraska nebraska that's nebraska right. came back and i mean they still had to beat ohio state i don't think there's a whole lot changes if you beat ohio state still and, and win out you probably get into the yeah look the bottom the bottom line is you're right i mean they they are nobody wants to hear this of course but they are in exactly the same situation at least relative to winning the Big Ten East as they were before this game, which is you got to go down and beat Ohio State because if they had won this game and won at Maryland and beat Penn State, won against Maryland rather, and beat Penn State but lost to Ohio State, assuming Ohio State runs the table in their other games, which is a safe assumption because mm-hmm. um, Michigan ain't going to beat them. <laughs> we know that. Um, then you still lose the division, right? So you've got to, and and I get people being disappointed and frustrated. We, you and I just talked about it before we started recording and, and yeah, it's all fair, but, but that is the truth, the truth. And I expect that's the line Mel Tucker is going to take, which is, Hey, all our goals are in front of us. And that would include, by the way, the playoff probably as well, because I suspect if they want, went into Columbus, beat Ohio state there, won the rest, the other two games they got left and won the big 10 title game they'd be in the playoff. And I think if they failed to do any of those things, even if they'd won today, they wouldn't be. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's too bad, but you're right. There are some similarities on the surface to the 2015 situation Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, um, anyways, that, I guess segues and a nice pivot into the basketball season, at least, um, Right around the corner here on Tuesday, we get Kansas first game of the year, uh, and Kansas, uh, you know, twenty-one and nine last season overall, twelve and six, um, which did not win them the Big Twelve for two out of the last three years. They haven't won the Big Twelve uh, after a fourteen-year run of of winning it in a row. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't fault them last year because the national champion came out of that league. But yeah, the, mm-hmm. for for years and years that was a common talking point, right? The the Kansas streak of winning the Big Twelve and and full credit to them because it's not like that league has been full of stiffs. Right. Most of those that fourteen year run was very impressive because you were winning it against a lot of high level competition. When you think about some of the players and some of the teams that have been in that league over that time and they won 14 in a row. It's incredible, but yeah, two out of the last three, they failed to do it, which I'm sure constitutes, uh, you know, a panic across the greater Lawrence region. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the thing you could say about Kansas is, and, and I think probably at least some people have forgotten this because, you know, a COVID year was just such a strange deal. But if you look at, let's, you look at blue blood performance and specifically the champions classic, mm-hmm. the four teams in that. Okay. Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Michigan state, Michigan state ends the year 15 and 13 barely gets into the tournament has to, and it took an incredible run at the end of the year to do it. And then they're in the play in game where they lose to UCLA. Um, Kentucky losing season. I think they were nine and 16 people forget that. I think, I think a lot of people remember Duke because it's just so delicious to see Duke struggle on the rare occasions. That they do. <laughs> yeah. Duke failed to get in the tournament as well. But um, Kentucky was nine and sixteen. Um, I think you can look at other, you know, UCLA. Let's not forget before their great run to the Final Four, they were in that playing game opposite Michigan State. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they had a world-beating regular season. It was a tough year. North Carolina was not very good. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a tough year to be a blue blood. So. By that standard, Kansas was actually okay, uh, but but still clearly a disappointing season. And I think, as we're going to talk about, that's led to Bill Self, you know, kind of in the same, to different style, certainly, but in a similar vein to some of the things Tom Izzo did. I think Bill Self took a look at what he had and said, I don't I don't feel I've got enough. And he went out and did some things to try to change it, which, you know, fortunately for him, the rules as they currently exist are enable enable you to do that in ways you couldn't before, mm-hmm. meaning the portal primarily. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, last year's team, they were really limited with, with Marcus Garrett, um, he was a good player, but just never quite got on track as a point guard um and yeah, their, their how, offense how fam- struggled how familiar does that sound right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and marcus garrett had a much better year and was a much better player than any of the guys michigan state rolled out at point but um marcus garrett was a great defensive player and he had been a decent solid off ball guy previous to last year uh-huh. last year they moved him there because they didn't really have a better option and they felt much like, I think, with Michigan State and Rocket Watts. They thought they had seen enough from him in previous years um, to figure that he would be okay. And it didn't turn out that way. Not that it was a disastrous year from him, but it, it just wasn't good. I looked at the, the Ken Palm stats for the entirety of the era that, that has existed, which goes back to the 2001 season. Uh. Um, Kansas had never – and that, so that – straddles a tiny bit of Roy Williams and then all of Bill Self's run, which is now a very long one. Mm. Um, I don't know, 17, 18 years, something like that. Uh, They had never finished outside of the top 50 in adjusted offense before last season. And they'd only finished outside the top 30 once last year. They finished 54th. They were 12th on defense. So they were the usually strong defensive team, that Kansas rolls out there. But offensively, you're 54th in a league that's as good as the Big 12, and you play the non-conference schedule Kansas plays, you're going to take some lumps. And they did. And I think a lot of that, you know, again, you can you can give Garrett the same excuse that applied to Rocket Watts, which is, well, 
in the end, what you can say is they tried to uh, drill a, a square peg into a round hole, and it didn't work. And and so that there were a lot of similarities in the seasons that Kansas and Michigan State had. I think you could say Kansas was not quite as adversely affected as Michigan State was by its problems. Their offense was not great by their standards, but it was better than MSU's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just weren't a normal Kansas level, and so that's why you're looking at, you know, for them, 21 and nine, 12 and six in the league, and not really in the Big 12 race. Baylor kind of ran away with it. That's that's not a normal Kansas year, yeah, by any stretch. Uh, so, all that being said, they do return five of their top seven scorers, um, and they added a ton of new talent um, through yeah. recruiting and the transfer portal. So. We're looking at a top five type team again um, coming into this year. Yeah. I mean, I think that the expectations are very high, and I think there's a justification for that. Um, You know, when you look at the roster, this was also a team. The other thing besides point guard play is it wasn't a particularly deep team. You know, I mean, they played a decent number of guys. but When you look at production, they really didn't get a ton off their bench. Mm -hmm. And – I suspect that's going to be different this year. That when I when I look at this team, not that everybody's a superstar, but honestly, as we're going to discuss, um, when Jalen Wilson is healthy, and we should mention at the outset, Jalen Wilson, who um, is their uh, leading returning rebounder, I think he's their second leading returning scorer, um, second or third. Very, very good player as a, a very modern power forward, can do a lot of different things. He um, got a, uh, I believe it was a DUI mm. charge, and is going to be suspended for their first three games, which includes missing the Michigan State game. Um, so that's a big loss. But when he's available, which he will be soon, I look at their roster and – it's 13 guys, and honestly, it's hard to look at it and say, all right, even if Bill Self's going to have his playing group be 9 or 10, who are those 9 or 10? At least on paper. Now, you don't know enough yet about their freshmen and even some of their transfers, but just on paper, when you look at guys' resumes, what expectations are for them coming into the season, they're going to end up with two or three guys at least who don't play much at all, who probably have a good deal of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it looks to me. So that's a good reason to heighten expectations. One reason is, well, they, it looks like they've got more guys who can actually contribute meaningfully. That would be my first take. The second question, which is the big one, just as it is at Michigan state is have they solved their point guard problem? Well, they've got three new guys, two transfers and a freshman, all of whom have resumes. These are all guys who you would look at in in the uh, in isolation and say, well, that's a guy who's done some things and and or who you at the collegiate level and or who was a highly regarded recruit. Um, but I think personally, I think there are still questions about it. And I, I looked at some of the media coverage, which those who follow us on Twitter probably uh, recall. I retweeted something from the Kansas city stars, Kansas beat guy after their exhibition went over Emporia state. And he talked about that. How Bill self was not happy mm-hmm. despite the fact that there was some scoring being done, but he wasn't happy about, um, 
the way that the position was played. And it's before we get into the, the individual stuff, I think it, it's fair to know. And I bring this up from time to time, usually in a season where MSU is playing Kansas, obviously, which happens every three years in this event. MSU fans are not generally big fans of Bill Self. And I understand why. Um, there is a perception, which frankly has been earned in my view, from what I know, that he has operated outside of the bounds of NCAA regulations over the years. You know, there was obviously the Josh Jackson recruitment, which got a lot of people fired up. But yeah. there was Cliff, Al- Cliff Alexander before that. I mean, they're, they don't they don't compete a ton for guys, but it's often enough that I think it gets on MSU fans' radar. And, of course, Kansas has a long history as a program, long before Bill Self got there, by the way, mm-hmm. of being in trouble with the NCAA. They are, in fact, currently still under NCAA investigation, and those results might well come out during the course of the season. It'll be interesting to see what happens because another school in their conference, Oklahoma State, just got nailed with a postseason ban for something that happened years ago under a previous regime. Yeah. And that, you know, caused a lot of consternation in the college basketball media world, certainly. Uh, but boy, after that, you would think Kansas, which in my eyes, from what I know about it, has been a far worse actor, specifically in the cases that they're up on NCAA review for now, and just generally as a program, um, you would think they'd go. All that being said, okay, we all agree, Bill Self is has kind of been a rogue actor over his career, certainly his career at Kansas. I could argue with Illinois too, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bill Self as a coach on the court, I have a lot of respect for. And Michigan State fans honestly should realize, if they don't already, that on the court – the way that Kansas plays, the things that Bill Self emphasizes, so the things that he chooses to treat as important, uh, tend to be very, very similar to the way Tom Izzo views the game. Hmm. They do some things differently. They're not. They're certainly not mirror images in every respect. But I mean, in a if you took a, a, a slightly wider scale you know, view, the two programs, what you would see is they both put an emphasis and put a lot on their point guards. Kansas had a lot of good point guards over Bill Self's run. Yeah, yes. Um and and that's by design because he wants his point guard to be an extension of him on the court and puts a lot of responsibility on them. And so consequently when last season happened he was unhappy because it wasn't what he's used to. They are traditionally very very good defensive teams like MSU. They've never really been built particularly around gambling. Uh-huh. You know, they're not a pressure team. Kansas wants to make you take shots that you don't want to take in the half court. That's what they want to do. Um, they're not quite as transition-oriented as Michigan State, but they do like to run, and they've got guys who can have been able to do that over the years. Um, you know, when opportunity, as I say, they don't look to push it quite as much, but it's there. Uh-huh. Um and, uh, and they're just generally sound basketball teams that want to make you beat them, meaning they're not going to give away a lot of stuff to you. They're not going to give you a lot of easy shots. You know, they're going to make you hit tough shots to beat them. 
on offense. They're going to run their offense in a way that they're going to get, generally speaking, good quality shots. I mean, I, I just went through this offensive efficiency thing. If Bill Self's been there, let's say it's 17 years, it's, it's either 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. He's finished outside the top 30 and adjusted offensive efficiency twice <laughs> in that time. That's a pretty and, – and most often he's in the top 20, top 15, oftentimes in the top 10. So the, the, the things that are emphasized are fairly similar. You do not get gimmicks out of Kansas typically. Kansas is going to go straight up against you the same way that Michigan State tends to and say, all right, you're going to have to beat us. Yeah. You know, meaning you're going to have to play a very sharp game of basketball. We're not going to let you do a lot of things that you like to do and that you get away with against other opponents. So from that perspective, I have respect for that program. I think that the way they play the game typically is aesthetically and and in terms of their principles is a way that I have appreciation for. Um you know, they periodically when they and they've had a lot of good post players over the years too. They're an offense that will use play in the post, which I, I like, I appreciate. Um you can dislike them for all the off the court stuff, and I'm with anybody who wants to go that route. But just on the court, I think you you have to appreciate the way that they play because it's got a lot of similarities and parallels with Michigan State's program, at least in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, if you look at their starters, Remy Martin comes in as a six-foot super senior transfer from Arizona State, um, and looks like he's expected to be to start the year as the primary point guard. Averaged nineteen point yeah. one points a game last year, um, forty-three, thirty-five, and seventy-eight from the floor, and had decent assist numbers: three point seven to two point four turnovers. Yeah, um, I'm making that assumption. He did not start their exhibition game. They started a former walk-on um, who's on scholarship for this year. Uh, I will be surprised if he doesn't start on Tuesday night, but, you know, anything could happen. Regardless, he's going to play a lot. Um, I mentioned that the the coverage from the from that exhibition game was interesting because Bill Self wasn't entirely happy with what he got. And – Remy Martin was a big part of that because on the surface, he did a lot of good things. He, he scored well. He shot them. I think it was seven for 10 from the floor for 15 points. That's pretty efficient. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a ton of turnovers, but the KC star guy said that there was a point where Martin went out. He got a lot of those points in a short burst of activity. And he said, Bill self was visibly annoyed during all of it. <laughs> which tells me a couple things, which I've felt about Remy Martin all along. I've seen Remy Martin play a decent amount over the years. He's He's been a very high-profile player at Arizona State. You mentioned years. I mean, he's a 19-point-a-game scorer in the Pac-12. Uh-huh. You know, the kid can obviously play. But I have never been a fan of his style, and I do not believe he's actually a point guard. I think he's at – if you're being generous, you could say he's a lead guard. And what the difference there is – Generally speaking, historically, when we use those terms, a lead guard is a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot up top, but he's primarily looking to score. Mm -hmm. A point guard is a guy who could be a scorer, but is also, maybe primarily, first and foremost, looking to run your offense and create for others, you know. 
sometimes you get guys, Cassius Winston's a good example, who can do all of it, right? Remy Martin has not yet proven in his career he's a guy like that. He's proven he can score. He has not proven that he can efficiently run an offense. You mentioned the numbers, 3.7 assists, that's okay. But 2.4 turnovers a game, that is a bad number. A bad number. That tells me that you're not taught. And I, and I, I marry those numbers to what my eyes have told me when I've watched him play. Mm-hmm. He is a heat check guy. He's a guy who is most comfortable looking to attack for himself. He's not a guy that I think is going to make those around him better, which is really what you're looking for when you're talking about a point guard. Now, Kansas has had guys at that position. If you think about Devontae Graham and Frank Mason when they had that combo, yeah. those guys playing together, both of those guys could score, absolutely. But they could also create. You know, they were like a Cassius Winston, or, you know, they were uh, guys who could do it all. I'm not convinced that Randy Martin is that kind of guy. Self was also unhappy about his defense. Um, I know this. I know Arizona State did not generally have good defensive teams when he was there. So I imagine he was part of that. And again, you're going to play at Kansas, you better be able to guard somebody. Um, So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this goes. He's not the only potential answer. We're going to talk about a couple of other guys. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder about that. I wonder, he's, he seems like he's going to get the first crack, but I wonder how long, how much rope he's got to be the guy, as opposed to a guy who's going to play some, but isn't going to be the primary answer at that position. Um, you know, Self is talking a good game about Martin and another kid they brought in as a transfer, Joseph Yusefu. Um, as a modern day, you know, in the next version of Mason and Graham, I'm really skeptical about that because <laughs> these guys don't have that track record of being creators. They've got track records of being mm-hmm. op- me offense guys, you know. So I think we're going to see, but I, but I know this: it's not going to be enough for Kansas to be a lot better to just have a point guard who can go out and put up. 13, 14, 15 a night. That's not the answer. The answer is they need somebody who's going to elevate all those guys around them and help make them better too. And I'm not convinced yet on Remy Martin. One other note before we move on. Kansas was heavily involved in pursuing Tyson Walker. They didn't get him. Martin, they had, in fact, both of their transfers. And I believe, I believe even their freshmen, they added after Tyson Walker committed to Michigan state. So that should tell you something. I, that doesn't mean that this can't work. I mean, Remy Martin is a kid with a lot of talent. And if you were to tell me, Hey, he ends up having a great year. He's first team, all big 12, all of that. And he figures it out. Okay. I can't, I would never rule out that possibility, but I am skeptical of the fit. Uh-huh. I think in that program, the way they play, the way they emphasize certain things, he does not look like a normal Kansas player to me. Now, we've we've seen guys, you know, Mike Smith at Michigan was an example of this, where he really changed his the orientation of his entire game to fit into that program and what they needed him to do, and he did a great job of it, and it helped elevate them to, you know, at times a top-five team. Uh-huh. Um I don't know that I believe Remy Martin's got that in him because he's already <laughs> been a headline guy yeah. at a high major program before. And presumably the reason he transferred 
to Kansas was to give himself a bigger platform mm-hmm. for, for pro aspirations, right? So is he going to fall into the, okay, I got to prove that I can actually run an offense, which frankly he should do because he's a six-foot guard. What the hell else is he going to do as a pro? <laughs> yeah. You know, But I just don't know, having seen him play, I just don't know if he's got it in him. But we'll see. It's a big question for them. No doubt. Uh, and then Dewan Harris, six-one sophomore. Um, it looks like he may be in the starting lineup for this one with uh, Jalen Wilson's suspension. Uh, kind of a glue guy, has a reputation as a good defender, um, decent secondary creator. Uh, Forty-eight from the floor, sixty-four from three, eighty from the line, but not a ton of volume. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've got him in here because he started the exhibition game and which Wilson did not play in. And he, uh, he played a lot of minutes in it. The, the walk on who started former walk on who started played like seven minutes. So that was clearly a cameo, but, but Harris was 20 plus and he's a returning guy. So it, it would not surprise. It makes them a little bit small if they start him alongside Martin six foot and six one, uh-huh. but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's the guy. He was actually their backup point guard last year, and you could make an argument that he was better suited for it than um, than was Garrett. But he was a freshman, relatively unheralded guy. They, they clearly weren't going to give him the keys. On this team, because of all the guys they've added, I kind of think he's going to be more off the ball. But um, definitely a, a, someone who's going to be in their rotation, I think, because – they like him defensively. They like the versatility. You know, you mentioned the shooting numbers. I mean, sixty-four percent from three, and it it was it was very limited. But it wasn't like he shot two for three. Yeah, yeah. On the season, it was a little higher than that. So I suspect they think he's a guy that can help them in a variety of ways. Once Wilson get gets back, it's almost certainly going to be in a reserve role, but but still significant. Uh, and then they got uh, Ochai Agbaji. Six five senior, um, and Agbaji should be one of the the better players in the Big Twelve this year. Um, Fourteen point one points he averaged last year. Forty two from the floor, thirty eight from three, sixty nine from the line. Yeah, and and even though those numbers are really good, they think he can actually be better, and, and he would be one of the guys. And there's a there's a few of them that they think can really take another step up with better point guard play because they felt some of their guys particularly their shooters, you know, Kansas was again, parallel with Michigan state. They didn't shoot very well from deep and normally they're pretty good there. Uh, and they had guys down below their career averages in that area. So they attribute at least some of that to point guard play. And I think they're probably right. He's their best player. I mean, he's, he's the guy, you know, there was a point I remember early last season where people were talking him up as an early entry candidate because he's six, five, he's a good athlete. He's got a good frame and he can do a lot of things. Well, that didn't end up happening. He ended up coming back. Um, but it tells you the kind of talent you're talking about. This is a kid who could have an NBA future. It's possible. And I think he's going to be their, their best player. Um, the question is how much better can he be than last season? And we'll, we'll just have to see, but he, I, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that he's capable of improvement from what was a pretty good 2021. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Christian Braun, six, six junior Braun, uh, averaged 9.7 points, 5.2 rebounds, 38 from the floor, 34 from three seventy nine from the line. Yeah. Th- this guy was hurt 
I think, clearly by their point guard play. Because Christian Braun, going back to when he was in high school, his reputation was as an outstanding shooter. And for him to shoot 34% from three, it, at least to me, it's uh, that's something. Yeah, some of it probably is just he just didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, and that would be fair, but that, that stuff gets impacted for sure by point guard play. As a, as a point of comparison, the year before when he was a freshman, he shot 44% from three. So he took a 10% drop. Now, he played a lot more. He played 31 minutes a game last year compared to 18 and a half as a freshman. He took about twice as many attempts from three as he did as a freshman. But even factoring all that in, I think it's pretty clear he got hurt by that. So if these guys that we're talking about, these newcomers at the point, are able to get shooters the ball in rhythm better, get them in hit them in spots so they're hitting them in the shooting pocket and a guy doesn't have to catch a pass and then you know it you're getting into mechanical things that have a big impact it's one of the things that i've observed already with regard to tyson walker at michigan state he gets guys the ball on time and in the shooting pocket and it i guarantee it's going to make a difference with some players Kansas has a similar issue with some of their guys. I don't know enough yet to know if they're going to be able to solve it in a similar way to the way I expect Michigan State to. Um, But Braun would be the guy who could be poised for a big breakthrough if that happens. Now, the other thing you like, as you mentioned, he did average 5.2 rebounds a game, which is pretty good for a 6'6 wing. Uh Um, So I I think he can contribute in other ways. But look, on offense – he is a catch-and-shoot player. He's not a guy who goes off the dribble. He doesn't create offense for himself. This is your classic run him off picks, get him the ball, let him let it fly. That's what he is. you got to have guards who can get the ball to that kind of player in the right spot at the right time to really maximize that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and then their big, David McCormack. 6'10", 250-pound senior, averaged 13.4 points a game, 6.1 rebounds, um, along with a block a game, 52 from the floor, 80 from the line. Yeah, that's that's a that last number is a great number for a big man because he's, he's not up the way like somebody like Trace Jackson Davis was in terms of free throw attempts, but he gets there a lot. Of, I think he led them in free throw attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless – you're that big. You get the ball in the post as often as McCormick does. You're going to get to the line a lot. And if you cash in at 80%, that's a hell of a weapon to have. So that's a big deal for them. I thought he had a pretty good year. You add it all up, you know, 13 and a half points. I'm sure that Bill Self would like him to rebound a little better than six per game. He doesn't provide you with a ton of rim protection. One block per game, not great. But, you know, Kansas's defense isn't always predicated on shot blocking either, so that's not necessarily as, as big a deal. Uh-huh. Um, their hope, I think, for where he could improve offensively is that last year, again, stop me if this sounds familiar, Kansas had very little in the way of effective pick-and-roll play on offense. So his 13.4 points a game came primarily via post-ups, or putbacks 
they weren't getting him rolling to the basket on lobs or, you know, any of the stuff that comes as a function of effective pick and roll play. Uh They think the guys they've got will be better in that area this year. And so McCormick could be set to be a beneficiary of that, you know? Uh, But I, I think you look at his size, his strength, the fact that he's a, a fourth-year player who's played a lot of basketball at Kansas, that's going to make him one of the better big men in the Big 12 and, and maybe one of the better big men in the country. And it's a good thing for Michigan State to go up against a kid like this right now because God knows there's going to be plenty of them to play against in the Big 10, right? <laughs> yeah. So you you yeah. might as well go at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so then coming off the bench, Joseph Yosefu, a six-foot transfer sophomore from Drake. Uh 12.8 points a game, 44 from the floor, 38 from the three, 81 from the line. Uh, and he's averaging 1.8 assists to 1.2 turnovers per game. Yeah, and, and that's, again, you look at the, the scoring numbers, the shooting numbers, Missouri Valley, pretty good league. So that's, you know, that's a legitimate enough number that you'd say, okay, somebody does that as a freshman in that league, they can play. You know, but 1.8 assists, 1.2 turnovers a game, that's not showing me signs of being a point guard. Right. <laughs> I think he's going to play a lot, but, you know, I, I mentioned this in regard to their the starting lineup that I think they'll roll out there potentially being a little bit of an issue because they'd be small. They've talked about Martin and Yusefu playing together. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about six foot and six foot. And I, and I go back to what I talked about earlier in, in our discussion here, Bill Self is a guy who really emphasizes defense. So if he sees signs that one, these guys can't check just generally the way that he wants his guards to, to check. And then on top of that, they're also small. I'm not convinced we're going to see that lineup a ton, uh-huh. you know? So I, I don't know yet how the pieces fit. It might be that they roll these two guys out there against MSU and torture them and everybody else this year too. That could happen. But I just I look at this team and I look at the pieces that they've got, and to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. given what other things they could be doing, especially when they get Wilson back. So then it becomes, all right, what's the balance of minutes at the point if they're not playing together a ton? I don't know the answer to that. Yusefu's freshman season does not suggest that he's going to be any better of an option in terms of running an offense than Remy Martin will. Uh-huh. But... Maybe he just had a rough first year. Uh, and so then the other guy that they have maybe vying for this true point guard option, Bobby Petty, Pettiford, uh, 6'1 freshman, uh, played 20 minutes in the exhibition, and he's a top 100 type recruit. Yeah, and they, you know, they, they got him. He had originally committed to Louisville, and then he backed out of that and ended up committing to Kansas. I think technically they got him just before the Tyson Walker thing happened, but they still pursued Tyson Walker hotly as they were. They were pursuing um, other guys in the portal. They were pursuing Ty Ty Washington, a late riser who had originally committed to Creighton and then ended up decommitting and going to Kentucky and is getting raves there in the preseason. They were hot after him. I mean, Bill Self handled his business like a man who didn't think he had all the answers yet. (laughs) And then obviously he answered the two. he, He added the two transfers that he did. All that said, Pettiford is a highly regarded guy. Not not a superstar, not a you know McDonald's All American like automatic handing the keys to the offense, 
But as you said, a top 100 recruit, he's supposed to be very quick, kind of a downhill player. There is some reason to think he might be a little more natural as a, as a decision maker than these other two guys. He played 20 minutes in the exhibition, so that's a sign that he's going to be in the group. But where he fits and how it all comes together, again, I'm, I'm going to be fascinated. You could tell me that by late January, Bobby Pettiford is the starter, and it wouldn't shock me. Uh-huh. You could tell me that he's playing eight minutes a night, and it wouldn't shock me. I just don't I don't think anybody knows enough yet. But he would be the guy that I would peg as having at least the, the best, most likely potential to be a more complete player. The question, I don't know how he's going to be defensively. You know, I don't know how he's going to be as a shooter. That was an area he supposedly needed to improve. Um, so we'll see. Definitely another name to watch because I think he'll see the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another freshman, 6'7", K.J. Adams, uh, expected to be in the rotation. Um, maybe as a wing, but maybe even as a four. Um or, or even a small ball five, according to self. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's an interesting Kansas class. I mean, the the, the headline names were the transfers, particularly Martin, because you know you score you score 19 points a game in in, in another high major league. That's going to get a lot of attention, right? So I, I understand that. But this is an interesting recruiting class for self in that he got a lot of high school guys, and they feel very good about their class. And it looks like two or three of them are going to play, mm. but there's no, there are no McDonald's all Americans or really anybody even close to that. Adams would be one of those guys, but my understanding is he's been very impressive all summer. He played a lot in the exhibition game. And when self is talking about using him at, you know, basically every position other than the point that tells you something he's, he's supposed to be a very good athlete. He won. I can't remember which one of the various high school all-star games, postseason games he was in. He won a dunk contest. So he's obviously got some some athleticism to him, and yet they like his strength, too. Mm-hmm. So he'll play. He'll be on the floor against Michigan State. Uh, and then they also land a uh, kind of a journeyman. Jalen Coleman lands, 6'4 guard. Uh, he's been playing for it. <laughs> Everybody all over the place. He's originally from Indianapolis. He's played for Illinois, DePaul, and Iowa State before finally landing here in Lawrence. I'm pretty sure this is year six. (laughs) And that has to do with, you know, transferring and COVID. And you mentioned three different places. Um, I'm pretty sure he was part of the 2016 recruiting class. Um, So, yeah, a, a lot of experience. He's coming off a toe injury. He missed both. They had a scrimmage against Tulsa, and then they had this exhibition game against Emporia State. He missed both of those. But I read as of three days ago, so as of Wednesday, um, he was back uh, in practice, and Bill Self said he expected him to play. Mm -hmm. The big deal there is, well, it's two things. One, you got a guy who's played a lot of basketball. Now, he hasn't been in many winning situations, Illinois was still pretty bad when he was there. Um, DePaul was what DePaul's been for the last 20-some years, which is (laughs) not good. And then Iowa State last year was down. Iowa State wasn't very good. So 
He's played a lot of basketball. He hasn't played a lot of winning basketball. How does that affect things? We'll see. What he's definitely proven to be able to do is shoot the ball. Hmm. And Kansas, as I mentioned, did not shoot the ball from three very well. So they're interested in anybody who can help that. And Coleman Lands is a guy who, in theory at least, should be able to help that. Once again, who's he playing with? Who's getting him the ball? Are they getting it there on time? Are they getting it to him in a good shooting position? If that happens, he could be a big weapon. Yeah. Uh, but he is he's definitely going to play. I mean, there's there's no question. I just as this is what I was mentioning earlier, right? That I go through this roster and I can make a case for a lot of guys, but you know that they're not going to play all of them. Yeah. So how do they slot in? What roles? I would think that Coleman Lands has the inside track to a significant, by which I mean at least mid to high teens number of minutes in a reserve role. I would suspect that's what where he's going to slot in. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, fourteen points a game last year, forty percent from three. I mean, yeah. it's not like he just, you know, was poking around there at Iowa. In the in the in the same conference in yeah. the Big Twelve. Now, you know, the other thing is you don't know how does a guy at Iowa State. He was one of their top options, so he was getting the ball a lot. You know, how does he react to to being more of a support player, which is what he'll be at Kansas? Then Kansas is going to build their offense around him. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know for sure how guys react to those things. But I, I would think there's a good chance that he's a productive rotation guy for them. Uh, and then they also have Mitch Lightfoot, 6'8", super senior. Um, Lightfoot played in all 30 games, but only averaged about 3.4 points, 2.5 rebounds, 51 from the floor, 25 from three, 62 from the line. He's another guy who's been there forever. He absolutely was part of the 16 class because I remember – he was the guy who kind of broke the news that um, Jaron Jackson you know, had told him he was coming to Kansas. Mm. Uh, or, not Jaron, God help me. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, yeah. Jaron Jackson made the right call. <laughs> um, yeah, so Lightfoot's been there forever. I mean, I think when they recruited him, they, he was a top 100 guy, and they had you know visions of somebody who could be sort of a jack-of-all-trades, could be a shooter, you know, had enough size to help at times inside, blah, blah, blah. It's never really come to pass. I think, again, it's tough because this guy came back for a sixth year. He came back for his, he's using his COVID year. You would think that means, okay, he's probably going to play some. But I look at this roster, to me, just looking at the exhibition game, and I'm assuming Self wasn't using that to send messages to anybody or anything, that it kind of reflected how he sees his team right now. If we take that as true, then Lightfoot is well behind somebody like Adams, who's a freshman, uh-huh. and kind of might be set to play a similar role. I do think he's got a chance to play, but it's going to depend on how some other guys, like Adams and like some other guys, end up fitting in. I, I, I don't know, and it's what makes this intriguing and at the same time kind of hard to figure out at this stage. Uh, and then Cam Martin. 6'9", 230-pound super senior transfer from Division II. Um, so yeah. Another older guy. That's that's one of the reasons I can't quite figure out Lightfoot yet. Is Martin's bigger. He's an inch taller. He's probably about, I don't know, 20 pounds heavier. This is an interesting – you know, we've had this phenomenon in recent years. I, I credit slash blame Duncan Robinson. <laughs> 
Duncan Robinson came from Division Three, which is another level lower than where Martin came from. But since that happened, that was a real novelty then that Michigan did that. But they took his transfer, he redshirted, he had to sit out a year, and then he ended up being a guy who really contributed for them in some important ways, and he's made against all odds, he's created an NBA career for himself as a mm-hmm. specialist. Um since then, we've seen more of this. We've seen more D2 or D3 guys making the jump once they've established themselves at that lower level. And Martin is that. He was an All-American in D2. I believe he won one or two national championships. Um, this was a guy who absolutely was a really productive player at that level. And then you look at his measurables and the fact that he's reportedly a very good jump shooter as a big man. And you could see why he was attractive to Division One programs. He was set to go to Texas, and then Shaka Smart left to go to Mar- take the Marquette job. So he decommitted and ended up at Kansas. He didn't play a ton in the exhibition game. I think he played seven or eight minutes, which was, you know, Adams, I think, played 20 by comparison. So I'm not sure what that all means, how that all sorts out, but he's another name that you have to figure might have a chance to play. The other thing is he's the only guy other than McCormick who has normal, legitimate five man size. Uh Other than that, there we'll talk about a freshman they have. Who's got the height, but not the weight and the bulk. So he might kind of get himself into a role that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Kyle cup, 6'2 freshman from New York. Um, what do we know about him? Uh, you know, kind of borderline-ish, top 100 guy, uh, more of a combo guard. Uh, very, very athletic from what I understand. Uh, needs to work a little bit on his shooting. That's that's kind of the book on him. In a normal situation, you look at a guy like that at Kansas, if that translated to decent defense, you might say, okay, he's got a shot to get some minutes. I look at the number of guys we've talked about already, and I kind of struggle to see barring injury where the opportunity opens up for him, but who knows? Uh, and then the, the freshman you're talking about, 6'10", Zach Clements. Um, nice yeah. skill set, but 215 pounds at 6'10". Um, yeah, it just seems like he's a little light. And from reading about him, they like him a lot, but it, kind of reading between the lines i think it's likely that he's going to have a very limited role this year mm-hmm. because they, they just don't think he's strong enough to be able to help and that's why a guy like martin might actually be pretty valuable for them because at least it gives you a chance physically if mccormick's got a rest they're going to play mccormick a lot but if you have the odd game where he's in foul trouble or you just want to get him a few blows to keep him fresh um, you know, you gotta, you want to have an option there, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure this kid is ready for that. Okay. That's, uh, probably all the players we could expect to see, um, from Kansas. Um, any other thoughts about these guys or no, I mean, you could, you could see there's a lot of new faces, you know, they yeah. return five of their top seven scores. So it's, it's not like they've they don't have a core of experienced players returning. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, the only guys they lost were Garrett graduated, Garrett left and um, Bryce Thompson, who had been a Michigan state recruit at one point, didn't have a huge freshman year. He transferred out to Oklahoma state. 
um, I believe. They transferred out of Kansas, at least. So, um, you know, they've got that core, but then we're talking about a lot, a lot of new names. I mean, we're talking about four transfers um, and uh, and then what? Two, three, I mean, four freshmen, I think two of whom are set to play pretty significant roles in some fashion. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of new faces, too. So, you know, there, there's there are a lot of things for Bill Self to kind of put in place and figure out with his team. And it's early November, so it'll be interesting to see how much of that he's gotten accomplished and how much of that he still has to do. Um, that's always kind of the interesting thing about the Champions Classic, right? Is we've typically, you know, Kentucky and Duke being the kings of one and done, um, over this era, uh, we're used to them have, okay, this is a first viewing of what's mostly a new team. Mm-hmm. We get that every year. Kansas is more like Michigan state where there've been a lot of years where we got kind of have a sense of what they should be, but you're always bringing in new guys and trying to figure out where they, where they're going to fit. But this year, I think more than most Kansas is doing a lot of that too. It's just that some of it is with guys who actually do have a collegiate track record, just not in Lawrence. Uh-huh. So uh, if we turn to the keys, Rod, um, turnovers again have, have now made our way into the keys here after, you know, what we've, we've saw against Ferris State um, and also to a certain extent, the first half of the Grand Valley exhibition. Yeah. yeah the Ferris State game was a classic early season Michigan State turnover fest. Um, the first half of Grand Valley was not as bad. They had seven, uh, but they, they cut that to five in the second half. And so I think that was where you started to feel, okay, there were some signs of progress. Uh, but, but look, here's the bottom line for, for me. In this matchup, I mentioned at the outset, Kansas's program in terms of the way they play mirrors MSU in a lot of ways. One of them, I think, is this. I would suspect that it's a big point of emphasis for Bill Self to say, if we have an even, if we're even at least with the other guys in terms of opportunities to score, we're going to win 90 some percent of the time Mm -hmm. because we're going to defend them well enough that we're going to hold them under what they normally shoot. And we're going to run our offense well enough. If we're not kicking it away that we're going to hit a, a, a strong enough, a high enough percentage of the shots we get to win the game. And he's right. I mean, that. so their equation is a very similar one to the basic MSU equation. If we're even with them in scoring attempts, we're going to win. Uh-huh. That's basically the way you look at it. So turnovers are a big, big part of that. And offensive rebounding both ways, what you get and what you give up, factors into that as well. But but turnovers are where it really starts, I think. And, and so that's why going into a game where you're playing a team that you know has generally the same kind of equation for success that you do, it makes it important that you don't give them a distinct advantage. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's really what it comes down to. How efficiently Michigan State will play in that area remains to be seen. I mean, I I liked signs in the second half of the Grand Valley game. But let's be honest, the competition turns way up here. And 
just like we've been talking about with Kansas with regard to Michigan State, there's a lot of new faces mm-hmm. in key positions playing a lot of minutes. And even some guys that are back are playing. You know, somebody like A.J. Hogarth is set to play a more important role than he did last year. There's no question about it. So how does, you know, even there, you're not saying, well, we know what we've got. I, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Is there anybody on Michigan State's roster that you can look at and, and feel comfortable saying, well, I know what we've got? Uh, no, Probably I... not. Because you, you you damn well hope not, because you hope that guys like Gabe Brown and um, Joey Hauser and Malik Hall and Marcus Bainham, all these guys are going to be better mm-hmm. than they were last year, right? They need to be if Michigan State's going to be good. And then you got a bunch of other guys that are new. Yeah. So, you know, Aikens and Christie and, and Walker. So, yeah, it, it's hard to tell, but I know this, it's going to be important keeping those turnovers relatively limited. You know, and the thing is, too, again, Kansas isn't going to go out and try to pressure you and force a bunch of them. So in that kind of game, it's really going to be on you. If you've got a if Michigan State has 18 or 19 turnovers in this game, I guarantee you, you and I are not going to be talking about how Kansas was just great forcing a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It'll be Michigan State killing itself. Uh, and then rebounding. Um, with particularly with Jalen Wilson out, I mean, Michigan state should be bigger at almost every position. Yes. Um, yes. So you'd hope that they could get a, an advantage there. Uh, you know, I, I think the two, this is my opinion and, you know, we'll see if it ends up panning out, but I'm reasonably confident that we're going to see Michigan state make strides on offense. Like we said that in our season preview, right? And, and the two exhibition games have done nothing to dissuade me from that view. I think, I think Hogard, I will give him his due. Hogard has impressed me enough to the point that I'm optimistic he can be at least a reasonably solid backup guard. I still am not convinced that he's going to be anything close to sharing that position, and I think Michigan State will suffer if he, if he is. I still have seen enough. I've, I have seen enough, rather, to believe that Tyson Walker is that guy. But but both of those guys at that spot, I do think I've seen enough to suggest that optimism around the idea that they're going to make the offense better for a variety of reasons is correct. I think the transition game is going to be better, which we'll touch on in a second. I think to go back to something I've been saying a ton in this podcast I think shooters are going to get the ball delivered to them on time and in the right spots, which is going to make them better as shooters. I think that's going to happen. I think pick and roll play is going to be back in Michigan State's offensive repertoire in a way we did not see last year. And and I also think that, especially in Tyson Walker's case, I think he's capable of, um, of doing things himself that Michigan State didn't have anybody who could accomplish those things last season at that position. Mm. So I'm reasonably confident this team is going to be better offensively and probably significantly. So, you know, they they don't, they were almost outside of the top 100 in efficiency. They were in the nineties, if I remember correctly. So it doesn't take a lot. If they finished in the forties, you'd say, well, they're significantly better. So I think that's going to happen. My questions are defense and I'm reasonably optimistic on that front based on what I've seen early and rebounding. That's the one I don't think I've seen enough yet 
to feel great about. Uh-huh. Um, you're right about size. Michigan State is going to be they're going to be taller at center. Bingham's got a couple inches on McCormick. He's given up some weight, but they can certainly compete at the five physically. Um, and they got a bunch of guys. You know, they got three guys they can roll out there too. Mm-hmm. Um, in this game, at least, I think they're going to be absolutely bigger at the four. Um, and then the wings, you know, Michigan State is long. When you're starting Brown at 6'8", and Christie at 6'7", and those guys have wingspans, I mean, Brown is 7'1". I'm <laughs> not sure what Christie's is, but it looks long. Mm. That Michigan State has some advantages there. You're right. How does that translate to rebounding? I don't know. Kansas is missing their best rebounder. They're a little smaller, it looks like. You're right. But it's a Bill Self team, so I'm not going to assume that they're going to be weak mm. in that area. I would expect that they're going to work their asses off to hang in there on the boards. Can Michigan State do that too? I One thing I've seen in the exhibition games that I liked, and we'll see if it sustains on into the season. We've, we have beat the drum on this over recent years relentlessly. If Michigan State's going to get back to being Michigan State, in rebounding, what we've come to expect out of the program, it has to start with the wings. Mm-hmm. They have got to be better than they've been. And they, you know, they lost a guy in Aaron Henry from that group who was their best rebounder last year, in my opinion, right? So, and I think statistically he was yeah. too, or just my opinion. So they lost the one guy who could do it. And then you had, well, Gabe was kind of, you know, in and out. And, you know, two guys that I've seen already show signs of being difference makers are the two freshmen, Max Christie and Jay um, uh, Nakins. Yeah. yeah. And and that's encouraging. And I think Gabe is showing signs that he can be a little better too. It's not all those guys, you know. Marky's got to be good. Um, you know, Hauser's got to be good. And Hauser was okay last year. He's got to be better. Malik Hall's got to be better, you know. It would be great if Julius Marble could get better. I'm not sure – how likely that is, but um, maybe Matty Sissoko earns more minutes because mm-hmm. uh, he could help. So there are signs that it could happen. I just haven't seen enough yet on the court, as opposed to the defense, where I've seen some things that really do encourage me and make me think, yeah, they're going to be better. Um, I'm not sure I've seen enough of that in rebounding yet. But again, it, it goes hand in hand with the turnovers. You want to cut them off from having second chances. And you want to get some second chances of your own. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, and then the transition. Um, anytime you're going to start, uh, you know, a new point guard, that's one of the bigger questions, especially uh, pushing the ball, getting it off the defensive yep. glass and, and running with it. But it looks yep. early to be like that's something Walker can handle. Both of them. And they do it differently. Walker is a dribble guy. Um, but he's extremely quick. And if you've watched, uh, you know, for, I don't know how many of our listeners, of course, have watched these exhibition games. They don't make it easy on you. You got to pay a $10 fee, plus, which yeah. suckers like me did. <laughs> uh, but, uh, actually I don't feel that way. Cause I got something out of it. And one of the things was this Tyson Walker is quick enough that if you get him, if the outlet pass happens smoothly and quickly, he will get the ball up court in a blink. And he, and he seems that Izzo keeps talking about 
continue, continuing to need to reinforce that with him, that he's never played in a program that emphasized it the way Michigan State does. Northeastern walked the ball up. So it is new for him. But the, the nice thing is, you know, he's got the physical tools to do it. And from what I've seen, his instincts are good. When he's in transition, he's making good decisions. He sees the floor well. Uh, just in general, I have not seen Tyson Walker make many bad decisions in terms of where he goes with the ball. Uh-huh. I mean, he he seems to be right guy, right time, right place consistently. So that plays out well. With Hogard. Hogard's actually arguably been even better in transition because he's been a throw-ahead guy, uh-huh. and uh, like Cassius was. And I think he's shown signs of being really good, much, much better than he was last season. That's, that's one thing I really, I have to admit, and I am right at the top of the A.J. Hogard skeptics list, and all our listeners know that. But I'm also not going to deny when I see signs that something's gotten better, even from a guy I didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, he has made improvement there. I still think he takes too many risks at times, but in terms of what he can do to keep the transition game going, I think he could end up being a plus guy in that area. The other thing I like is MSU's wings, are re- particularly the two starters, are really running the floor hard. Gabe Brown has had some finishes in transition that are as good as anything we've seen from him in his entire career. Mm. And Max Christie is good too. <laughs> Suffice it to say. Um, I think the other thing that's nice about those guys is when you've got an effective trigger man at the point running it, now you have the possibility of getting easy three looks in transition. Yeah. And you've got two guys in Brown and Christie that I think are going to hurt people with that shot. So there's a lot to like there. You know, in this game, boy, normally in a non-conference context, you say transition's huge because teams typically don't know what hit them when they're playing Michigan State. They're not used to it. They don't handle it the way Big Ten teams do because they don't see it regularly. Yeah, Kansas, again, Bill Self, knows what he's doing defensively. I'm sure he's got a great scout for this game. You'd be surprised if they were just hemorrhaging points on the break. But as with any opponent, the key for Michigan State is not just how many points they get in transition, but how hard they make the defense work. Mm-hmm. So that's what you want to see. And if we get – the other thing, too, is Kansas is a very good half-court defensive program, as we've talked about. Uh, any easy points you can generate are golden. When yeah. you don't have to go against a set defense, man, take them and run. Uh, and then the fourth key, deep shooting, which I would expect to see improvement, you know, when you insert Max Christie in for uh, Aaron Henry, uh, you hope maybe Hauser has a little bit better year and and Walker can, can bring some. Yeah. there's lots of reason to expect the Michigan state's going to be better. And you hit on, on some of the reasons why I also think this, um, I think that, uh, you know, you have Gabe Brown who actually was good last year. Maybe the only guy as a plus 40 shooter, Gabe Brown looks dialed in to me. Um, Hauser, I think could take a big step up. I think he is going to benefit more than any other individual from the personnel changes. I really do. 
I'm just seeing those signs and they were reasonable to conclude anyway that that was what was going to happen. And, and it does look to me like we can expect that Max Christie, uh, you know, Jim Comperoni on the Spartan mag board had a comment the other day, um, which, and he's not a guy that's given to hyperbole. So he's seen a few more practices than any than most other people mm-hmm. with this group. He asked the question of people. He said, who's the best Michigan state shooter since Sean Respert? Ah, what would your answer to that be? Think about uh, all the guys. I mean, basically probably, in the Izzo era. Probably Cassius Winston, I would think. Well, he's in the discussion, for sure. I, I would probably say Bryn Forbes, as a pure shooter, was yeah. the best. But but Cassius is in that discussion. I think you could also, the other guy I identified was um, maybe junior and senior year Denzel Valentine. It yeah. kind of depends on what you're talking about. Are you talking about just pure shooting? Are you talking about ability to create your own shot and hit it? You know, it, these can get into subtle distinctions, but let's say those are the three guys, right? Um, he is of the opinion that Christie could be better than any of them. Wow. And I think he might be right. Now, if that's true, if Max Christie is, let's say, let's say with volume, He's a low 40s three-point shooter. Michigan State's going places, in my opinion, if that happens. Because I think Gabe Brown on the other side is going to be a plus 40 guy. Mm -hmm. I think Hauser could be more like he was at Marquette, where he was a plus 40 guy. Marcus Bainham, I don't expect to be a heavy volume shooter, but I think you're going to see him contribute from three this year. He hit a nice, smooth-looking one against Grand Valley. And the way Izzo talks... He says, as long as it's in rhythm and it's not involving Marcus going behind his back to create <laughs> space, um, he's got the green light. So that tells you that they think he can hit him. I think Malik Call can be okay. Mm. He can be decent. Uh, I think Jade Nakins, as a freshman, can be good. We don't know yet about the point guards. Tyson Walker, we'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but he hasn't done a lot of shooting yet. These exhibition games, his history says he can do it, but we haven't seen it in MSU. Hogard is the one weak link. I, I, I don't see a lot of signs that his, his jump shooting is likely to improve a whole hell of a lot. So that's going to be a limitation for him. But we're talking about a lot of guys who can shoot. And if Max Christie is that good from three with the, the minutes he's going to get and the shot opportunities he's going to get and the fact that he can score so many other ways. I've been really impressed by watching him go off the dribble, go get his own shot, mm-hmm. things that weren't emphasized as much when he was being recruited. He's stronger, so he's better able to finish in traffic. I, I think he's, I, I really do think he's going to be a star as a freshman. He reminds me as much as anybody else, he reminds me of Steve Smith, except I think he may be a better athlete, which I, I didn't know before he got here. I've seen a couple of plays in the exhibition games that shocked me <laughs> with how explosive he was at the rim. But but going back to the shooting, this was a problem for MSU last year. They did not shoot well as a team. I think they've got the pieces in place to shoot well. They shot pretty damn well against Ferris State. They didn't shoot it great against Grand Valley. They had great looks, and they, I think they were at 34%. So it wasn't a disaster, but it wasn't what you'd hope. Um, if Michigan state could get back to at least being like, a, you know, high thirties, 
kind of team from three point range as a group, yeah. which I think is, I think the potential's there. Um, they're going to be, they're going to be improved. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal for them. Conversely in this game, Kansas is kind of looking at the same thing. They were down a little bit last year shooting from three. Now they got some new components. Can that help them improve? They're optimistic that it will. And I could see good reason for some of that optimism, but we've got to see it. So I think if either team has a big edge from three, obviously that's going to bode well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last key point guard, uh, yeah. Kansas is is sort of in the same boat as MSU, as you mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Trying to figure Absolutely. out their point guard spot. So this will be an interesting one. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm excited to see – Walker on defense. Uh, well, he stacks up against this kind of competition. Yeah, and that that is an important note against this kind of competition. He's looked great in the exhibition games. And the thing that I love, you know, we we had heard, you know, he was his conference Colonial Conference's Defensive Player of the Year, and he had pretty gaudy steal numbers. And oftentimes that comes with less sound play defensively overall because mm-hmm. it means you're gambling you're trying to create turnovers and some coaches want that but we know at michigan state that's just never going to be the way tom is wants to play what i've been very impressed by in these two exhibition games is tyson walker has played rock solidly in terms of his positioning and yet he's still forcing turnovers i think he had four steals against grand valley and by the way for those who didn't watch it didn't pay much attention to the Grand Valley game. Grand Valley is not your typical D2 team. They had five guys on that team who were transfers from D1s. <laughs> so they, they are expected to be very good in the GLIAC. They mm-hmm. might even be the favorite. Uh, they were definitely better than Ferris State. And, you know, the kind of guys they had, physically, experience-wise, talent-wise, you could tell, hey, this is, this is more akin to a low-major team typically see in the non-conference for MSU. I'm not mm. not trying to build them up into a juggernaut, but you know, Michigan State won by 23, and it probably should have been more. But that was not a bad team, and they had some guards who could do some things. And to watch Tyson Walker play the way that he did, very impressive. Now, this is another challenge. Whenever I think of Remy Martin as a point guard, Remy Martin is a guy who has proven he can go get a bucket. Mm. So Tyson Walker is going to have his hands full. Um, but I am encouraged by the fact that I think he can be the kind of guy that Izzo, Izzo's system needs. He can apply some ball pressure, but he's not going to go crazy with it. He's going to stay solid. The goal is going to be don't get beat going to the rim. Keep your guy on the perimeter, close on three-point shooters, just be solid. It looks to me like he can walk that line between doing that and then He's got quick, active hands. He doesn't have like crazy wing span or anything. He just has a knack for it, it seems. And it's been evident in these exhibition games. He mm-hmm. just manages to, to force turnovers without gambling. So I think he's going to be a difference maker at a spot where, again, MSU was not very good last year defensively. Hogard, different kind of player, physically st- bigger and stronger. So that's good. It at least gives you that option. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know yet if he's going to be sounder. You know, last year he was a guy who could have a, a possession or two where he would look great, and then he'd just get totally fried. Yeah. 
on a pos- on a third possession. You know, there was inconsistency, which from a freshman and he was out of shape and all that stuff. We'll have to see, but I, I think MSU could be should be better there to some extent. We've talked a lot about offensively how they'll be better. I will say one thing we have not yet seen from Walker in the exhibition games that absolutely has to be there if Michigan State's going to be can play to their potential. Uh, Tyson Walker has to be a shooting and scoring threat out of the pick and roll game. He has to be. Mm-hmm. And thus far, you have not seen him over two games. He has not taken a jumper. Now, he was not, you know, nobody was talking about him as Michigan State's best shooter since Sean Respert. But he was a mid-30s guy from three at Northeastern last year. And he shot the deep ball very well in a game against North Carolina. He played it. We talked about this when he committed. Uh-huh. He actually played even a little better against his high major opposition than he did against his conference teams. He was a little bit better, and that included shooting the ball. So he's proven that he can do it at the collegiate level. He's got to do it for Michigan State. I have no difficulty believing that Michigan State's pick-and-roll game is going to be much better with him at the controls Mm -hmm. and a better version of Hogard, too. Um, But to maximize that, I mean, we saw it for four years with Cassius Winston, right? You want to really max out your ability as a team in the pick-and-roll game? That guy with the ball in his hands needs to be able to punish people for shacking it. Yeah, He's got to be able to hit a three. You know, we talked... We talked about it last year, the game against Michigan Breslin at MSU won. We said beforehand, Rocket Watts has got to hit. He doesn't necessarily have to hit threes, but he's got to hit 15 to 18-foot jumpers because the way Michigan plays it, that's what he's going to get, and he's got to hit it. And he hit enough of them in that game to help Michigan State get the win. Mm-hmm. So that's just one example. We know that as Michigan State fans, you know this. You've seen it for years and years. You know what the equation is. Tyson Walker's got to do that. I have no difficulty believing that he is capable of doing it. It's just he didn't do it in those two exhibition games, and that has to change starting Tuesday night. So for MSU, those are the things to me that matter. For Kansas, you know, again, they have a question mark too because it's new guys and new roles, two transfers and a freshman. How do they fit in? Do they elevate the guys they're playing with, or are they kind of playing me-first guys and, and they're not really making anybody else any better? remains to be seen. I think there's reason for Kansas fans to be optimistic because of the clear talent involved, but there are also reasons to be skeptical based on the track record of the way these guys have played in the past, at least the transfers. So we'll see. Big challenge both ways. I think whichever team feels better about their point guard play in this game probably got the win. Uh That would be my guess. Okay. Any, uh, Final thoughts on this one? This one's going to be uh, Tuesday, 8 o'clock. Um, uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, yep, oh, yeah. the first game. I, I, I'm i glad about that. I, I usually don't like uh, the Champions Classic when MSU is in the, uh, is in the matinee. I would rather, I'd rather <laughs> yeah. get, the, get the early one, get the first game, just get it rolling. Um, That's right, 7 o'clock look, ESPN. This is a, yeah, this is a, this is a great event as we – we tend to talk about every year. Um, if you haven't been to one of these, this one's a little tough because it's Madison Square Garden. And I, I, I know most of Michigan State's fan base, probably most of our listeners, are not in the greater New York area. Um, I've been to it before. It's, it's a cool event that kind of feels a little bit 
like, you know, Big Ten tournament or an NCAA tournament environment in that you've got multiple fan bases in the building at the same time. So it's a little different than what you're used to in the regular season. Um, and all of these fan bases have travel well, let's say. Yeah. Um, they all bring out a lot of people. So it's fun from that perspective. It's really fun when Michigan State plays well. The last one I was at wasn't so much fun. The last time I went was in um, 17 when MSU lost a close kind of frustrating game to Duke mm. um, in, at the United Center in Chicago. But it was still a great environment, great atmosphere. Um, and I expect this one will be as well. It's it's It should not be taken for granted by Michigan State fans the kind of platform that this event gives the program every year. It is the, it has become the official kickoff to the season. Um, it's high profile. Everybody who's interested in the sport tends to watch these two games because these teams are always ranked highly and this season's no different. I mean, Michigan state's not in the top 25, but all three of the other ones are in the preseason. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are expectations that go into it. It provides you with an immediate level test as to where you are because of the quality of whomever the opponent is that you're playing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the nice thing this year is it's back to a neutral site. If you remember last season, we had the shenanigans with Mike Krzyzewski for COVID reasons, not wanting to travel away from Durham and Michigan state had to play the game in Durham and fortunately beat them. Yeah. So it didn't matter. But um, it's nice to see this event come back to what it's supposed to be and be at a neutral site. I, I don't know. I mean, with it being Coach K's last season, couldn't they have given him a home game just to, to honor him for all the great things he's done for the sport? It's crazy <laughs> they're, making him, they're making him leave the state of North Carolina. It's outrageous. That's Shame a, on John Calipari. That's the first thing I thought when I heard Krzyzewski's retiring after this year. I thought, oh, that's why. Uh, he he promised the, that that we'd get the next home right because he's, yeah. he's not going to be around. Right. right, it'll be on John Shire's plate. <laughs> um, but but yes, all these things should not be taken for granted for Michigan State fans. You know, the reason that they are in this game is is down to two guys. It's down to Mark Hollis, of course, for being one. I think the guy who conceived of it that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, and sold it to ESPN, but but mostly. It's, it's down to Tom Izzo. And regardless of the outcome, don't don't lose sight of what it means. to Because that, that has been, it almost becomes a, a chicken or the egg kind of discussion. Are you, are you a great team um, because you're in this event, or are you in this event because you're a great program? Mm-hmm. And it kind of doesn't matter, but it's it's verification, it's branding. I mean, the thing is literally called the Champions Classic. <laughs> so, and and you could see, right? You look at it. Okay, there's an ACC team, there's a Big Twelve team, um, there's a uh, an SEC team, and there's a Big Ten team. Mm-hmm. So Michigan State, and, and we know this. I mean, other programs can say whatever they want, but the reality is. Over the last quarter century, the flagship basketball program in the Big Ten is Michigan State. There's not even a remote doubt about it. There have been different programs that have been serious challengers over that period from time to time, but the constant is Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And that is reflected in this, that they are the Big Ten. They are the representative of 
the biggest and most important conference in America, in my opinion, my biased opinion. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that means something. And so don't take this stuff for granted. I mean, win, lose, or draw in this game on Tuesday night. This is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and that's apart from, you know, as I said, the level check it gets you and, and you know, you begin to find out answers to some of the questions that you've had over the offseason about the team and, and individuals on it and all of that. It just it is as an event, it's a big, big deal that Michigan State is part of it, you know? Yeah. And um and it's a tribute mostly to Tom Izzo. Okay. Well, that'll wrap it up. Um, for this, we'll have the post game after um, Tuesday night. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. Hey, race fans, Justin Bell here, former racing champion and host of the new F1 podcast, Drive to Win, presented by Win Las Vegas. Join me on the show each week as you'll be swept behind the scenes for an immersive look at the culture, technology, drama, and glamour of Formula One. There's something for everyone, whether you're new to the sport or a lifelong F1 fan. So join us each week as we cover every twist and turn of the F1 season on the Drive to Win podcast. That's Win, spelled W-Y-N-N, presented by Win Las Vegas. Available now on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.